ransom. Praise the Lord for that. Well, I, uh, I will say, as, let's turn to 1 Kings 20. I will say that uh, since I got here, I feel my voice going away. So, I don't know how long I'm going to last here, but we'll try to get through it. I have more notes, more notes than usual. <laughs> so, maybe this is God's way to tell me to shorten it up, I don't know. But, uh, 1 Kings 20, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about this passage. I think it's really uh, wonderful. A lot easier to preach her than this morning's message and passage. But uh, last week, we saw in 1 Kings 20 that the Israelites, they were being surrounded by King Ben-Hadad and those 32 other kings. And uh, we saw that they had an overabundance of men and an overabundance of resources, and they were teaming up against Israel, and all seemed lost. But God, God intervened. And in His grace... He took control of the battle, and he defeated the enemies of Israel, not for Israel, right? Not for Ahab, but for his own glory. That's why he did it. And this was nothing short of a display of the amazing grace of God. Because again, what did Ahab and Israel do to deserve victory? Absolutely nothing. And we know that, as we saw last week, his grace has been abundant from the beginning of time. Right from the start, from Adam and Eve, and it continues on today. And this battle, while it was won by Israel, the war was not quite over yet. So let's look at 1 Kings 20 and look at verse 23. The Bible says, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And they do this thing, take kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their rooms, and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, and chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice, and did so. And it came to pass, at the return of the year, that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians, and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered, and were all present, and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew the Syrians and hundred thousand footmen in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. And there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left, and Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Old Testament. We thank you for this book, First Kings, that uh, even though uh, some things may be a little difficult to understand, it is very relevant to us today, and it's useful for us today. We thank you, Lord, uh, that we can learn from it. I pray you'll give us what we need uh, this evening, and uh, I pray that every one of your children will just uh, be dedicated to the truth of God. 
And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here this evening that's never trusted on you and you alone uh, as their personal Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that today uh, they would know that they have eternal life and that they will uh, just not, not chase after their way uh, to get forgiveness from God, but rather run to Christ. I pray that you help uh, that, that lost soul that may be here today to do that. In your holy and precious name, amen. It was John Piper that said, bad theology will only hurt people and dishonor God. And I think that just about sums up our text tonight. What we find here is untrue beliefs about God that lead to tremendous harm and to God's glory being diminished. Now today, bad theology or incorrect beliefs about God have riddled Many churches. Bad theology has done and continues to do great damage to churches everywhere and also to individual believers. And you know, every year it seems that bad theology seems to take center stage in thousands of churches that at one time preached the Bible. Man-centered theology replaces God-centered theology. Unity is promoted at the expense of truth. I know of pastors that used to stand for the truth of God that now say things like, well, you know, church unity is more important than being theologically correct. I read recently of someone that I personally saw as a preaching giant that publicly stated that he encouraged a grandmother to attend and support and to buy a gift for her grandson's gay wedding with the idea that it would win him to Christ. Bad theology and incorrect beliefs about God is dangerous. A low view of God is detrimental. An incorrect view of God's word is damaging, and yet many turn this way, and those on the outside love it, and know this, the enemy, Satan, he loves it too. Now, while the the change over to bad theology... It may lead to what appears to be a season of growth in a church. I want you to understand that it's artificial and it will not last. All incorrect beliefs of God, all that it does is draw in those on the outside and it tickles their ears with lies. And the only true growth and the only true fruit that will remain is growth that comes from the preaching of the truth of God's word. That's it. Now, I want to be very clear as we prepare to look into this, that we must never be prideful in our knowledge of God or the Scriptures. So know that. And I want our church to be a church that's theologically sound with everything that I have. But I never want to look down on those that are not from my high horse of perceived wisdom. We always need to approach the Word of God and the things of God with humility And with the intention of kindly edifying one another and those on the outside. We are to compel people to believe the truth of God with grace and with love and with humility. So we should never be prideful in our our, our knowledge of scripture or the things of God. But we do need to be very cautious. We cannot take bad doctrine and we cannot tolerate bad doctrine. Uh, We cannot invite bad theology into our homes and certainly not in the church. If we have a low view of God or a lack of knowledge of the Word of God, or the character of God, it will bring a world of hurt. 
And we see that on full display here in our text. So let's go ahead and look at verse 23. We see the servants of Ben-Hadad's, they have a low view of God. Look at verse 23. And this, this whole passage centers around this verse. It says, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. So after a brutal loss to the Israelites that was absolutely unexplainable, the servants of the king Ben-Hadad, they decided it was just a fluke. It was just a fluke. They believed that the Israelites' God, which is Jehovah, which is Yahweh, they believed that he was just a God of the hills. This battle was a, a battle fought in the hills. So because of that, they thought, well, this God of theirs, he must be a God of the hills because they were stronger than us. They were more powerful than us, despite us having more men, despite us having more resources. And this set of beliefs was known as then as localized deity. This was actually a really prominent belief at the time. Many people believed in this time that there were gods of the skies, there were gods of the seas, and gods of the hills, and gods of the plains, and gods of the mountains and the valleys. They thought that these gods had particular authority over very specific areas. So since this victory was unexplainable, their theology led them to think that God, the God of heaven, Jehovah, Yahweh, was simply a God that ruled over these particular hills that they battled on. That's what they believed. And boy, were they wrong. Hey, listen. Jehovah is a God that reigns and rules over everything. He does not reign over the hills. He reigns over all. Let's look at Psalm 103. Go to Psalm 103, please, if you would. Psalm 103, verse 19. And I could go to several verses, specifically in Psalms, that speaks to this. But look at Psalm 103, look at verse 19. Let's see what it says here. It says, The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. God does not just reign over this area, or that area, or this area. He does not have dominion over this nation and not that nation. No, He reigns and rules over all. Now, uh, these men, as they thought that He only ruled over the hills, I want you to know tonight that this type of thinking is still around today. And I don't want to bore you with difficult terms, but uh, this is known as polytheism, which is simply the belief that there are many gods. Many people in our country, and, and definitely all over the world, they believe that there are many gods. There's a god over this, there's a god over that, there's a god of the hills, there's a god of the plains. Uh, you know, maybe God, he, he maybe is the god of certain areas, but not all areas. There are people that believe this. Now, you may not be here tonight, and you may not think that way, but I, I think that this thought process is not only prevalent in our society, but this faulty thinking has seeped its way into the church and seeped its way into Christianity, but in a different way. You know, maybe you're here tonight, and you believe that Jehovah may be a God of the past, but not the present. Maybe you think, well, you know, he, God worked in incredible ways back then, but I don't, I'm not so sure if he can do that now. Maybe you believe that he's a God that can get you through one type of trial, 
but not this one. Maybe you believe that he's a God that could provide for the saints of old in the Bible, but not for you right now in your time of need. Maybe you believe that God is a God that could give boldness to the apostles and the early church to witness and to tell people about the gospel, but not you in 2024. Maybe you believe that God rewarded men of faith in the past like Abraham, Moses, Noah, uh, and, and people like that, but he's not likely to reward your faith today. Maybe you believe that while God could do a great work in the so-called so glory days of the Baptist church, it's not likely that he can do that now. Maybe you think that, well, you know, he, he may have been able to bring in the funds for a little church in northern Maine to build a new building, but these days, I'm not so sure. Maybe you believe that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Well, you know, he's easy on sin, he's full of grace, he would never condemn anyone. Listen, understand tonight that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that brought the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt is the same God that you serve today. The God that made the heavens and the earth is the same God that rules today. The God that sustained His people by His grace in the New Testament is the same God that can and will sustain you today. The God that hated sins and, and the sin of idolatry specifically in the Old Testament is the same God that desires His people to be holy today. The same God that rewarded the faith of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 is the same God that will reward the faith of His people today. The same God that did remarkable things for His church in the New Testament, in the early church, is the same God that can do remarkable things in His church today because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the servants of King Ben-Hadad, their, their bad theology, it led them to give bad advice and to have a bad plan of action. And know this, this is why this is so important. Bad theology. Well, let's just say this in general. Our theology, whatever it may be, our beliefs about God and our beliefs about His Word will always affect what we do. It will always affect our actions. Because what we believe affects what we do. So that brings us to the, the plan that was devised from these uh, servants' bad and flawed theology. If you would go back to 1 Kings 20, and we'll see their plan. Let's look at their plan. Look again at verse 23. Just look at the latter part there. This is their plan here. It says in verse 23, the, the last part there, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they, and do this thing. Take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their rooms, and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, and chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened to their voice, and did so. So due to their faulty thinking, and their wrong view of God, these servants recommended that they have another battle. Hey, let's fight them again. But this time they say, hey, let's fight in the plains. Let's fight on flat and level grounds. Because if we do this, then surely we will defeat them. And additionally, they advised the king to replace their depleted army with a newer, bigger army. And unfortunately for King Ben-Hadad, he listened to their counsel and went ahead with this plan. And, and in this we find a really a David and Goliath moment. Look at verse 26. 
And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. So a few months after the last battle, after they got done licking their wounds and making up this plan, King Ben-Hadad prepared to fight again. And the, the, the Syrians and their allies, they rallied together again against the Israelites. And the Bible makes a comparison here to show us just how much the odds seem to be against Israel. In comparison to the army of Ben-Hadad, the Israelites looked like two little flocks of goats. In other words, they were outnumbered tremendously. The army of Ben-Hadad, they had all the resources a man possible prepared. And we see, uh, we'll see here in a bit that those that ended up take, have, being in this army, they numbered over 127,000 men. The men of war for King Ben-Hadad filled the plains. Wow, little old Israel. If you looked out in comparison, they just looked like two little flocks of goats. It was nothing. But, as we know, the Israelites had one resource that the opposing army did not have. And that was God. God was with them. God was on their side. And the Israelites, they could cling to the promise of Psalm 118, as it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? So regardless of how strong the enemy was, and how, how strong the enemy would come against them, God was stronger than all of them. Now, I just want to kind of pause for a moment and, and let you know there is an implication for us as believers in this. Listen, if you are in Christ, when the world and the flesh and the devil fight against you, if you run to Christ, they're no match. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and we'll look at chapter 4 as well. Some good verses that speak to this truth. Look at 1 John chapter 2, and look at verse 13. Verse 13 in 1 John chapter 2, John writes, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Go to 1 John 4. Turn the page and look at verse 4. In 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hey, listen, if you're in Christ tonight, when the tempter comes your way, know this, the worst thing that you can try to do is try to defeat him in your own strength. The best thing that you can do is run to God because in him, true strength is found. Hey, listen, when you're tempted to sin, run to Christ. When Satan casts discouragement on you, run to Christ. When you're filled with doubt and with worry and with fear, Run to Christ, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And look, it doesn't matter what you're going through in your life. You may feel like the Israelites. 
You may feel that you're just like in a, in a little flock of goats going up against tens of thousands of enemies. But if you are on God's side, if you are in Christ, then you can prevail. So run to Him. Because in Him, His people will prevail. In Him, we can prevail. And God, He makes this truth very clear in His decree. Let's go back uh, in 1 Kings chapter 20 and look at verse 28. God makes a decree that would no doubt fly in the face of their beliefs. Look at 1 Kings 20 and verse 28. It says, And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord God, uh, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So after Ben-Hadad and his servants, they came up with their excuse. After they devised their little plan, after they got ready to battle, the Lord God spoke. And when God speaks, we ought to listen. What did he say? He said, in essence, because they said, I am a God of the hills, and not the God of the valleys, not the God of the plains, not the God of all, I'm going to destroy them so they will know that I actually am God of all. Now let's just pause for a moment again. Remember, what was the purpose of God giving victory to the Israelites over these kings and these armies? What was the purpose? His glory. Instead of giving him glory, the, the servants of King Ben-Hadad, you know what they did? They diminished his glory. They took away from his glory. They did not give him credit where credit was due. And I would say a lot of credit was due to God for doing what he did. But they put him at a lower level than where he belonged. So guess what? God felt insulted. Hey, listen, church. Whenever God does something, let's praise him and give him the credit. Hey, you know, if God grows you spiritually, it's because he's grown you spiritually. If God allows our church to see people saved by the grace of God, it wasn't me and it wasn't you. It was God. If God changes people and, and changes lives from the preaching of His Word, it wasn't me. It wasn't anybody. It was God. Let's give Him credit where credit is due. But these, these servants, they, they made out God to be just like every other false God. They did not give Him the proper credit for what He did and who He was. So God was insulted by such thoughts and such words. Now, surely all of us here have experienced a time where maybe we worked hard on a project or a task, whether it's at school or at work, only to have somebody else take the credit, or not give us the credit that was due to us, or that we felt was due to us. And guess what? When this happens, do we not feel insulted? Do we not feel uh, like we've been wronged? Okay, so you take that feeling and you times it by a thousand, this is how God felt. Because he did deserve all the glory. And they diminished his glory. They took away from the truth of his power. And, it, and, and really their, their, their thought process diminished and subtracted from his holiness, from his awesomeness, and from his dominance. And you know what church? Flawed theology and wrong ideas about God. Listen closely. It never brings glory to him. It only results in Him and His glory being diminished. And that is why we need to be careful about our theology. Now this didn't only diminish God's glory. 
But it also brought great damage, just like God promised that it would. Look at verse 29 again. It says, And they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew the Syrians and hundred thousand footmen in one day. But the rest of the rest fled to uh, Aphek into the city, and there was a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left, and Ben Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. So the, the servants of King Ben-Hadad's, bad theo- uh, because of their bad theology, because of their low view of God, it brought them to a place of destruction. On this day, 100,000 men died in the plains of a battle. To an army that looked like two flocks of goats. Okay? And then those that remained, they fled the city. And the hand of God, caused the wall of that city that was surrounding that city to fall down, and that catastrophe caused 27,000 other people to die as well. Hey, listen. God of the hills? God of the plains? No. God of all. God proved himself to be exactly who he said he was. And in this, we know that bad theology and incorrect views of God has grave consequences. A low view of God, bad theology, costs the lives of 127,000 people in our text. And when you consider our day, we know today it has done damage and continues to do damage to millions and millions and millions of people. Now I want to give you some practical help from this. There are several ways that bad theology does great damage. And I just want to kind of mention a few. And think about this. How does an incorrect view of God or bad theology cause people damage? I I just want to look at a few of these. First, understand that bad theology leads to a misunderstanding of God's character. Hey, listen, if you want to know what God's like, go to the Bible and find out. He'll tell you exactly what He's like. But bad theology, it does a couple different things. For one, it it might portray God as harsh and unloving and distant, and it might lead people to fear God or even resent Him rather than experience His grace and His mercy. And this can certainly damage individuals' relationship with God. It can hinder their spiritual growth and, and, and their spiritual well-being. But then on the other side of the coin, a misunderstanding of God's character can portray Him to be unconcerned with our sin. It, it can make Him out to be full of grace to the point that He would never allow anybody uh, to go to hell or ever condemn anybody. And this is simply not true. Because according to the, my Bible... God is just, and He must punish sin. According to my Bible, He is holy. And according to my Bible, He desires His people to be holy. And to believe otherwise can lead somebody to live for themselves and for their pleasure when they are instead meant to live for the glory of God. And again, you go back to the other side. According to my Bible, He's loving. He's gracious. He's merciful. But to misunderstand His character... 
is to do as the servants of Ben-Hadad did and diminish the awesomeness and the glory of God. But not only that, bad theology can lead to legalism and unnecessary guilt. And what I mean by that is uh, simply the fact that some forms of theology, bad theology, emphasizes strict adherence to rules and regulations as a means of earning salvation or earning favor with God that are not found in the Word of God. Okay? And that mindset, it burdens people, just like the Pharisees did. It burdens people with guilt and burdens people with shame when they fall, when they fall short of these impossible standards and, and leads them to feelings of unworthiness and despair. But not only that, bad theology can also lead to misguided priorities. This can cause people to prioritize worldly pursuits or personal ambitions over their relationship with God and their obedience to His Word. And this can result into a lack of spiritual discernment, a loss of focus on eternal things, which ultimately will lead to dissatisfaction and spiritual emptiness. And you know what? I've seen numerous times where... Bad theology caused people to believe that God will prosper them, that God will give them good health, that God will make them rich, and that God will bless them physically with abundant blessings. And this is dangerous because when God does not prosper them in this way, you know what that caused them to do? It causes them to believe that they either lack faith and they're in a constant state of despair and wondering, why is God not doing what he said he would do for me? Or, they get bitter towards God, and then they lose their faith. So that's another thing that bad theology can do. Not only that, bad theology can lead to the erosion of biblical authority. And listen, this is so prominent today. There are so many people that say, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Even people that will stand behind a pulpit. Oh, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. What matters is what I feel. Listen, if the Bible, if this book right here, if this is not the Word of God, let's go home, close the doors, sell the building, never come back. Let's just be done with it. The Bible is either God's truth or it isn't. It is either our authority or it isn't. And I want you to know tonight, it is. Ultimately, bad theology will undermine the authority and the reliability of Scripture as the inspired Word of God. This is the inspired Word of God. And when people begin promoting subjective interpretations uh, of biblical truth, they ultimately compromise the integrity of God's Word. And all that does is lead people to confusion and doubt and a weakened faith. But know this tonight. Above all, the greatest, probably the greatest danger with bad theology is the fact that bad theology, a lot of times, sends people directly to hell. This is why it's so important. You know, the Bible clearly states that Christ is the only way to salvation and forgiveness from God. To preach or say otherwise is to preach or say a different gospel. To preach a different gospel is to point people to the road of hell. There are so many people that fear offending people that they would rather keep people comfortable on the road to hell rather than point them to Christ. 
But know this, there's only one way to God. There's only one way to forgiveness. And it's not going to be found in a man. It's not going to be found in a priest. It's not going to be found in a work. It's not going to be found in a church attendance. It's going to be found in Jesus Christ. It is only Him. You and I, we are wicked and sinful people that are only deserving of God's wrath. And the only way to escape it is Jesus Christ. And this cannot be watered down. It cannot be softened. He is the only way and it's non-negotiable according to the scriptures. He was crucified. He was buried. And he rose again for our sins. And we cannot take away the truth of the gospel in the name of unity. For to do so is to freely encourage people to die in their sins without Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle said unity without the gospel is a useless unity. It is the very unity of hell. So we must believe the truth of God. Again, what we believe about God affects how we live. It affects what we do. So, we have to be very careful of a low view of God. A low view of God. We have to be very careful of bad theology. So what do we do? It's kind of scary when you, when you think about all the dangers, right? How do we... How do we ensure that we have a proper theology? How do we make sure that we, we know uh, what the truth of God is? It's very simple. Know the Word of God. We need to get our theology from Scripture. Let's go to Acts 17. This will be the final place to turn. Acts 17. Look at verse 10. You probably know the passage. But it speaks to this truth. Acts 17, look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogues of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They received the word of God with readiness of mind. They were ready to hear what the word of God had to say. They were ready to live by the truth of God. They were ready to get their belief about God from the word of God. And it says that they searched the scriptures to see if what was being taught is so. And church, every belief concerning God and spiritual things, it must be tested against this book. It must be tested against the Word of God. The litmus test of truth is the Word of God. In 1 Kings 20, we really witness God's sovereignty and, and His power in defeating the enemies of Israel. But again, the, the servants of King Ben-Hadad, they demonstrated a flawed theology they diminished God's glory and it led to disastrous consequences. And again, bad theology, it persists today. It damages individuals and it damages the church. So my exhortation to you tonight and my challenge for you tonight is to know the truth of God as it is revealed in Scripture. Reject bad theology. Reject incorrect beliefs about God that diminish His glory or distort His character. You know how, that, how, you can, how you can make sure to do that? Stay rooted in biblical truth. Even if it means confronting popular but false teachings. 
Listen, every day you ought to be studying and searching the scriptures. Every day. You ought to be in the word of God. You ought to be grounding your theology in the, the word of God. And listen, if you need help with that, that's why we're here. Be a part of the Bible studies that we have every month for the men and the women. Partake in a Bible study with, with someone in this church if you need help. Listen, do a Bible study with me. I'd love to do it. I've done that with several people in this church. But regularly study and meditate on Scripture. And make sure that your beliefs align with God's revealed truth. And be committed to the truth of God. Reject bad theology. Listen, there's so much crazy stuff going on in this world. There's so many things that you can uh, that you can read about and hear about. And videos on YouTube that you can find just crazy stuff. That just twists Scripture. It's unbelievable. Let's stick with the book. Let's stick with the Bible. When we adhere to sound theology, we honor God, we glorify His name, and we faithfully fulfill our calling as followers of Christ and as His church. So let's hold on to the Word of God, because that is where we find the truth. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.